reading from 2 Corinthians chapters 2 and 3. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts, to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. O Lord, have mercy on us. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. St. Paul is not the first one who has to defend his credibility. In the Gospels, Jesus was accused of bearing witness to himself. The Pharisees, his opponents, they all said, you're you're just talking about yourself all the time. Why should we take your word about you? And Jesus told them, no, it's not I who bear witness about myself, but it is the Heavenly Father and his Spirit who testify. Jesus, before Paul needed to verify his credibility. It couldn't come from within him. It had to come from outside of him. But Jesus wasn't the first either. I want to go all the way back to the book of Numbers. There are two stories in the book of Numbers about this very kind of thing, about credibility, about authority, about who made you king, who put you in charge. Twice in the book of Numbers, these kind of obscure stories, twice Moses is called an imposter, essentially. And it starts close to home. Numbers chapter 12, his sister and his brother, Miriam and Aaron. They come up to Moses and they say, Has the Lord indeed only spoken through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? Who made you king? They ask of Moses. Now right away, the Lord has something to say about this. God tells Miriam and Aaron to draw close to him and then he speaks to them. And he says, come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. Hear my words. If there's a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him. It's I who make a prophet. It's I who call a prophet. It's I who give him the words. I am the one, and I have called Moses. And to make the point clear, God, in that moment, afflicts Miriam with leprosy. Just like that. Because she had kind of tried to usurp Moses' authority. Now, Aaron pleads on behalf of Miriam, and she is cured of her leprosy. And you would think that the lesson had been learned, but not 
Four chapters later, Numbers chapter 16, something very similar happens again. There's a group of Levites, the clan of Korah. And they rise up and they say something very similar about Moses, similar to what Aaron and Miriam said. They say, you have gone too far to Moses. For all in the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why do you exalt yourself above the assembly of the Lord? Who died and made you king? They say to Moses. This time, the consequences of this sort of uprising are much more severe. Moses says, just wait and see what the Lord will do. So they draw the people of Korah, this clan, this group of men who are rising up against Moses, they draw them out of their tents, and then the Lord utters his judgment. It's Moses whom I have called to be the prophet. It's Moses who is my man. It is him, it is to him that I have given my word. Why do you doubt? And then the earth opened up and swallowed all of those men who were rebelling. That was very helpful to Moses that God would act in such a way. He didn't have to do much to defend himself. In fact, in both cases, Moses doesn't really say a word about himself. He doesn't say, well, here was my experience, the, you know, that moment at the burning bush when God called me and told me to lead the people out. He doesn't remind them about all the signs that he showed in Egypt when his staff was turned into a snake or when he turned the Nile into blood or when he parted the Red Sea by raising his staff when they approached it. He doesn't say a word. He doesn't have to because God is there to verify with judgment, that Moses is the man he has given. And that sounds really nice. That would be nice, wouldn't it? If there were such signs, if God were so clear. Paul doesn't have that kind of a luxury. There's no word from God to the Corinthians, no sign to the Corinthians, no judgment on behalf of Paul. God is not opening up the earth to swallow the Corinthians for being detractors by doubting the authority that God has given to him. So what is his claim? This is where things get really interesting for Paul. The calling of God for which he considers himself insufficient. Notice that twice in our lesson today. He says, who's sufficient for these things? If it depended on my skills, if it depended on my wit or my wherewithal, then we'd all be lost, every one of us. It's not because of sufficiency in me, but because of the calling of God. And for Paul, that is certain. He doesn't doubt it. He saw Jesus on the road to Damascus. He heard the voice. He was struck blind. He was healed of his blindness. He was baptized by Ananias. He was sent off to be devoted to God. And he came back an apostle, called by God to spread the good news of Jesus. He was there for all of those things. But the Corinthians weren't. They weren't there on the road to Damascus. They weren't there with Paul. And the Holy Spirit drove him through Macedonia and into Corinth. They weren't there when all of those things happened. But but they were there when Paul arrived with the gospel. They were there when he preached this good news, this scandalous good news of Christ crucified for them. Paul says, I came to you not with earthly wisdom, in 1 Corinthians, I came to you not with earthly wisdom, not with high, eloquent speech, but instead I came to you in foolishness with a message about a man who died on the cross to forgive the sins of the world and then was raised from the dead. I came with that message, and here's the proof, Paul says, that I am an apostle of God. You believed me. The gospel came to you, and you believed it. 
It was foolishness, and yet you didn't count it foolishness. Instead, you counted it salvation. You counted that gospel as the power of God for salvation to you who believe it. You believed it, and your lives were transformed by it. And that is the proof, Paul says. You are my letter of commendation. He's talking about letters of commendation in the very same way that we think about letters of recommendation today. So if you're applying to go to school or you're applying for a job, it can be helpful to have a letter from somebody who's credible, and you hand that letter over to your future employer and say, see, look, somebody who means something, they can vouch for me. And that was important in the ancient world when it was very hard to go places and see people face to face. You'd carry a letter with you, sealed with somebody's ring especially, showing that it was by their authority that their words mattered. A letter of commendation. Paul says, look, are we exchanging letters right now, you and I, dear Corinthians? We don't need letters of commendation because you, you are the letter of commendation. The proof is in the pudding. You believed. Your hearts were changed. This commendation is written on our hearts to be known and read by all. We came to you in sincerity, not as peddlers. We weren't selling you something. We offered you the gospel free of charge, and you took us at our word, and it changed your lives. All other gospels, all other kinds of good news, they, they produce an outward change. If somebody comes to you and they, they're selling you a vacuum cleaner that's going to revolutionize your life, it produces an outward change. But look what it cannot do. It cannot change your heart. But that's what this message did for the Corinthians. It changed their hearts, just like God said it would. From the prophets of old, God said, I'm sending my spirit to my people, and I will give them a new heart, not a stony, hard, cold heart, like the heart they've got, a heart of death. Instead, I'm going to give them a new heart. I'm going to give them my own spirit. And that is what the Corinthians received. It's what you receive again and again every time you hear that your sins are forgiven for Christ's sake and so your conscience is put at ease. It's what you receive every time you hear again that Christ, the very Son of God, poured out his blood for you so that you will not die but live. That's what the Corinthians received. And that's what Paul is pointing them back to. Am I commending myself again to you, Paul says, kind of sarcastically? You always have to read Paul with, a, with, with the possibility of sarcasm in his voice. Am I commending myself again to you as I'm explaining to you, Paul says, about why I didn't stop by that one time when I said I would? It wasn't because I was breaking my word, and it's not because I'm unreliable, and I'm not defending myself so that you'll believe me for my sake. He says instead, I came to you with the gospel and you believed it. The life of the church, the life of the church, that is the testimony to the gospel. That anyone would believe it ever is a miracle. And the fact that some do, that is its testimony. Paul feels like he needs to defend himself to the Corinthians because there are some among them, there are some among them who are doubting his apostleship and kind of spoiling things, sowing seeds of bitterness and calling him a pretender. But he points them back to the beginning. He takes them all the way back to the beginning. Look, if you will just remember this. The gospel came to you with no strings attached. God came to you when you least deserved it, when you were still enemies of God. God came to you and he forgave you. You don't have to take my word for it, Paul says. My word doesn't count for anything. But believe the word of the cross. Christ crucified for you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.